Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Beer and Biceps podcast. Um, it's been a while since my last one, uh, over a year in fact. <laughs> uh, what can I say, it was taking a long time to do and I uh, got bored. But uh, I had a really good idea for a podcast, so I thought I'd jump in. Uh, today I will be talking about uh, England's recent uh, decision to in- legally enforce calorie information on menus in restaurants, pubs, takeaways and cafes. Uh, as at the time of this recording, uh, Scotland haven't done it but are considering it, uh, Wales haven't done it and Northern Ireland haven't done it yet, so it is just England. Um, so the idea is that if you are a company that employs over 250 staff, your menus have to have calorie information on them and it's just just the calories uh, that you're not required to do anything else. Um, so in this podcast episode, I will be answering three big questions. Uh, one, does calorie labelling work? Two, can calorie labelling affect eating disorders? And three, should calorie labelling be offered in restaurants? Um, I don't know if any of you have heard of this uh, discussion. It's not been big news outside of England for obvious reasons. Um, but the argument against it has come from uh, the people with eating disorders and experts in that field. Uh, I am fully aware of how terrible eating disorders can be and how important it is to treat them and cater to them where possible. So um, I'm not an expert on eating disorders um, and as such I'm not going to pretend I am uh, but I have quite a lot of experience not myself uh, but being around them as I was a personal trainer for seven years and uh, in that time trained hundreds of people and through online coaching have trained not hundreds of people, I wish it was hundreds of people, but a lot of people um, and as such you interact with them quite a lot. Uh, it's quite a tricky thing for personal trainers actually. Um, you're not supposed to give out diet advice anyway, so I, I recently, well, Last year I got qualified with Precision Nutrition where uh, even then you can't give out um, nutritional advice like specifically but you can give out certain advice. Uh, but it's very important that when you are onboarding a new client, be it in person or online, you um, get an idea of if they have a his- history of eating disorders because um, that's very important to know because if you have someone with like, you know, um, who suffered from anorexia for, you know, 10 years and has just recovered, and then you go, oh, right, so um, I'm going to be telling you which foods are good and which foods are bad. As you can see, that could absolutely ruin their progress, and they're putting a lot of trust in you as an expert, and a lot of personal trainers are not experts in nutrition because you don't need to be. Um, We're supposed to be uh, focusing just on teaching people how to exercise, but obviously um, the job has... Uh, morphed into something you know, a sort of a grey area between uh, medical advice and uh, teaching people how to use a treadmill so <laughs> uh, but I'm getting a bit off topic um, as I said in this space I've met a number of people who have recovered from eating disorders and have interacted with people who were currently suffering from them uh, it's important to, I should point out that when I found out they were suffering from them um, I never gave them any nutrition advice it wasn't my place um, and I also had to make my own decision as to whether exercise was a part of that thing and if I was enabling that uh, um, 
I never trained with anyone who had thought that, that it would be the case, and I did have to turn away quite a few people, well, a couple of people from the, that, because uh, it's important to note that exercise could be a massive part of an eating disorder. Um, but anyway, um, I also suspected a few people had it, um, and I would tailor my approach based on that, but unless somebody tells you they have it, you can't just uh, start guessing and then you know, making decisions based on that because it's not fair on the client and it, as I said it's just guesswork uh, but how I would deal with that is I wouldn't um, give them any sort of nutrition advice that could be taken the wrong way or you know I'd give them very gen- general advice and always talk about the positives of eating foods they should be rather than the negatives of not eating foods um, but yeah so as I said uh, had a lot of experience in the field of it but not an expert um, I've since read up a lot on it um not because i'm like some it's not like a hobby um it's just important to learn about this sort of stuff when you are writing fitness articles and nutrition articles and uh coaching clients and stuff like that so um i'm going to start off with talking about eating disorders and then i'm going to move on to um the obesity crisis and then i'll be able to give you the answers based on those things so eating disorders in the uk um uh current population of the UK is around about 60 million so keep that in mind um, there are between 1.25 and 3.4 million people with some form of eating disorder in the UK uh, this number is an estimate and many experts would say that it's actually much higher um, it's quite difficult to uh, to quantify it because um, what constitutes an eating disorder and you know what what level like a uh, if you eat a Big Mac and feel a bit guilty of it, is that a form of disordered eating or not? You know, it's quite hard for people to guess. But at the moment, roughly sort of saying about as many as 3.4 million people in the UK have some form of eating disorder. Um, it's quite highly uh, a female with 75% of people, but 25% of people with eating disorders are male. And um, up until recently, this uh, it was never talked about um, and I'm not saying it's a good thing that I'm glad there are more men with eating disorders but I'm glad that it's more noticeable um, I would say from an anecdotal point of view the amount of people uh, I experience I'd probably say that I you know maybe saw 10 to 20 people who might have had it or did have it um, and very few of those were male um, but the people that I suspected of having it without getting uh, things was actually quite high with men I think there's a lot of shame around it well shame around it for both um, men and women but I think uh, when people talk about that toxic masculinity I think that definitely affects uh, the ability of men to talk about it so I wouldn't be surprised if it was even higher in men um, than 25% and uh, but yeah um, so 10% of eating disorders are anorexia nervosa um, which is was quite surprising to me when I read that because uh, when people uh, when it's portrayed in uh, TV and film, especially early, you know early of TV and film, it was almost always was anorexia was the big one um, that everyone always just you know that was the stereotypical eating disorder. But actually, it's a very small small percentage of people with eating disorders are anorexic. Forty um, percent of eating disorders in the UK are bulimia. Um, uh, with bulimia, um, the idea is that you uh, eat lots of food, binging eat, 
binge eating it and then uh, you either purge which would be throwing it up or you can uh, mitigate it by exercising like crazy you know as a sort of way of dealing with it um, I wasn't aware that 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 was bulimia for a long time you know the excessive exercise um, I thought it was something different uh, but I think it does get grouped in now with bulimia and um, that by the way is what I think is why I think um, eating disorders are probably underrepresented uh, in the UK and I think that's probably where a lot of men um, who might have it and don't even know about it themselves um, could have it because I think a lot of people they, they especially in the personal training space um, overcome the guilt of eating too much by exercising like to a crazy level you know the next week or something but um, that is yeah that's part of bulimia uh, but what what's kind of interesting is that bulimia and anorexia make up 50% of eating disorders and 50 you know the other 50% are you know ones that are much less well known um, binge eating disorder is it's too complicated a term for me to simplify it like this, but how else could I do it? Um, it's a bit like bulimia, but without the um, the purging or the exercising afterwards. It's so it's eating more than you need, and uh, all these sort of emotions that built up with that. So um, that that's quite a serious one, and that can lead. Obviously, it can lead to obesity. So um, when we're discussing this whole thing, remember that. Um, one cause of obesity could be binge eating disorder and then we have to sort of decide well what percentage does that make up is it a small one is it all people who are obese almost certainly not but you know could it be quite a high percentage of them and you know does that mean that obesity is a form of uh, eating disorder um, I'm going to sort of stay away from that because it's not something I know about but uh, keep it in mind um, there are lots of uh, other disordered eating um, but I don't think they apply necessarily to this discussion. So there's uh, like eating things that aren't really food, you know, like um, people who like eat uh, foreign objects compulsively, you know, that is an eating disorder. It comes under the eating disorder thing, but it doesn't really come into this conversation. So I'm going to leave it out. Uh, but the big one that is rarely talked about is orthorexia. Um, and I've got a... Uh, a quote from Alina Petri, who wrote for Healthline in 2019, and she put it better than I could. It's, Individuals with orthorexia rarely focus on losing weight. Instead, their self-worth, identity, or satisfaction is dependent upon how well they comply with their self-imposed diet rules. Uh, so, to give that in a fitness context, if uh, you were following a paleo diet and... Uh, the idea of eating a non-paleo food was so stressful to you um, that and you know um, that it was affecting your behavior or affecting your mental health that would be orthorexia and I think this is probably going to be one of the biggest eating disorders going forward in the fitness industry because um, so many diets and so many uh, forms of exercise are based around um, creating a uh, a collective identity and there are many benefits to that like crossfit benefits from the uh, identity but um just remember that sort of thing i was just saying is uh instead their self-worth identity or satisfaction is dependent upon how well they comply with their self-imposed diet rules 
So, you know, if you, if you identify yourself... I mean, I, I'm not going to use vegan because uh, I think that's a bit unfair, but I will use it because it's the easiest example to give. But there are people who follow a vegan diet because they believe in it, and then there are people who identify as a vegan, and that that, that is a difference. If you're following it, you know, I, I don't follow a diet. I just eat foods that I enjoy. Um, but if I then decided to only eat meat like in a car- carnivore diet or only eat vegetables in a vegan diet and I became you know every part of me became that and I went around uh, uh, introducing myself as I'm Matt Smith carnivore or I'm Matt Smith vegan you know that is getting into orthorexia you, you can still do that without it becoming it but if you start to feel stressed or it affects your behavior or you feel you can't leave that well behind uh, then that could well be orthorexia um, and I think that it's important to remember that later on when I'm talking about the calories on menu studies. Um, But yes, uh, it is important to state that half of eating disorders are not anorexia or bulimia because it changes the narrative of these statistics. Um, So uh, remember at the beginning I said it was estimated between 1.25 and 3.4 million. If we, just for argument's sake, said it was the lowest one, 1.25 million, that would mean that... Uh, only 125,000 people in the UK suffer from anorexia, which is a massive number, don't get me wrong. Um, but when we're looking at the obesity statistics later, you'll see how small that number is in comparison. Um, there are half a million people in the UK suffer from bulimia, and that is the lowest possible um, estimate for that. You know, it could be much higher and almost certainly is. Um, and, you know, that's a number that's large enough that, you know, you really need to pay attention to it. Um, uh, binge eating disorder. I couldn't find a statistic for how many people suffer from it in the UK, um, but I assume it's quite a large amount. Um, and then with orthorexia, I think it's probably underreported. So I'm, um, I have no idea what the number is. But um, in the stat, uh, in the stats I looked at, it wasn't mentioned. And but I imagine it would be. I imagine there'd be quite a lot of people who had it to a certain extent. Um, but maybe not to the point where it was um, serious enough to uh, seek medical help. Um, it, it's quite a complicated one. Um, but yeah, the, the number is probably quite quite a lot higher. Um, this is probably da- due to the secrecy surrounding many eating disorders. People uh, you know, uh, are likely to hide it, um, to feel shame about it. Um, and that's what makes them so hard is, you know, people, people don't want to be found. Like, you know, if I broke my leg, you know, the, Trust me, the world is knowing that it's going to, you know, I'm going to mention that immediately and I'm going to get it sorted as soon as possible. And there's no shame linked to it from me or from people who don't understand broken legs. But with an eating disorder, there's a lot of shame. Um, there, there shouldn't be, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed about, but there is shame. And that could affect um, people not getting treatment. And also there's a lot of people who probably uh, wouldn't believe that they had it, even if it was obvious to everyone else. And then there's also people who um, wouldn't know, like how many people know about orthorexia. Um, they would, you know, they, they would just go, "Well, I don't have an eating disorder because my symptoms don't fit into anorexia or bulimia," uh, but actually, you know, they could fit into something else completely. So that's the sort of state of um, eating disorders in the UK. I've given you some numbers, uh, but now I want to look at uh, how the addition of calories on menus could affect certain eating disorders. Um, there have been a lot of studies on this. Um, I've got the 2017 study, it's probably the most uh, 
useful one. So he looked into the effects of menu calorie labelling on hypothetical meal choices for women with disordered eating. Uh, so 716 women filled out an online sur- survey. Uh, they were then randomly given a menu with or without calorie estimates. Uh, the study found that overall, the menus did not affect the number of calories consumed by people with eating disorders. So um, in the 716 women, uh, let's say that um, they split it in half, so that's 358 women who had calories, 358 women who didn't. When they looked at the numbers, uh, they were pretty much exactly the same. So let's say the average for group A was... Uh, they ate 500 calories, and for group B, they also ate 500 calories. So you could say from that that, oh, um, calorie calories on menus does not affect it, and uh, I'm sure there are people will, will, uh, that will say that, uh, but it's a bit of a lie, as we'll see. Uh, so uh, when they looked into the individual eating disorders, bulimia, anorexia, and binge eating disorder, they found that people with anorexia or bulimia ate significantly fewer calories while people with binge eating disorder ordered significantly higher, uh, which is should terrify anyone who is trying to treat binge eating disorder with calories on menus, because it makes sense that you go, well, if you show them, they'll go, oh, well, I'm not going to touch those calories because, um, you know, now I know, now I've got more information. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll go for the smaller thing. What they're finding is that people with binge eating disorder are actually going, well, I might as well eat the highest amount of calories. Um, so, yeah, I, whatever you take away from this is if you have binge eating disorder, you need menus without calories. Um, but yeah, um, so what, what they found was that the um, in the group with the calories on it, um, the people with anorexia and bulimia were under eating and the people were overeating uh so that when you compared the two groups, it all balanced out. So um, it's a good thing they double-checked that, because uh, that could have been a terrible study if they didn't. Um, but uh, there, there were a few problems with the uh, study, um, which the uh, researchers mentioned. Uh, the biggest one is um, that it was hypothetical meal choices. Uh, the individuals were not in an actual restaurant, Um that's not the study's fault. It's not something you could actually do anyway. Um, and it doesn't make the study wrong. But it's something that you need to note. Um, when you're in a restaurant, uh, you know, you've got the atmosphere of the restaurant. You've got people sitting next to you. You're mixing with people. You've got maybe your friends and your family around you. Um, and you're actually going to be eating the, these foods, which is a huge difference to picking foods on a list that you're not actually going to eat, you know, um, for me personally, if I was doing that study and I looked at it, I'd go, ah, well, I'll, I'll eat the, uh, well, I can't think of a single food, the fish fingers, because they're only 300 calories. But if I'm actually sitting in that restaurant, I'm probably going to go for maybe the food that I smelt walking in or the food, you know, on the plate next to me, I saw a guy ordering a massive steak and it looked amazing. So I'd order that. So the, there is a huge difference between hypothetical restaurants and the real thing so keep that in mind but also remember that every study I'm, I'm, there are three studies I'm going to mention um, all of those studies had to be hypothetical so it's not a weakness in this study but anyway so what they found was that it does affect uh, people with eating disorders uh, people um, will order fewer calories if they uh, suffer from anorexia and bulimia and they will order more calories if they have uh, binge eating disorder um, 
Uh, but also um, another thing about the hypothetical nature of this, um, you know, this survey. Um, we also can't forget the act of filling out a form such as this could have led to women with eating disorders feeling vulnerable and may have made them feel like this was a test and that could massively have affected behaviour. It's one of the biggest problems that science has is that uh, when people know that they're being observed, they change their behaviour. Um, again, that's going to affect all studies, but um, that what I'm saying is that they're, just because a study says something doesn't mean that the reality is going to be that way. Um, that is going to be the biggest thing, and it's it's sort of like the UK is the guinea pig for the world, because um, to my knowledge, no other country's done it to this level. Um, but yeah, uh, just because we think something's going to happen in a laboratory conditions doesn't mean that's going to actually happen. What would be the best thing for another country is to see what happens in England and then go, okay, well, this worked or it didn't work. Um, anyway, um, there was a 2013 study. I find this really interesting as well. Um, it found that when offered the choice of calories or no calories on menus, 92% of people with eating disorders were in favour of menu labelling. Now, that is absolutely mind-blowing for me. Where, uh, after reading like articles in The Guardian and uh, on the BBC and on... Uh, I, I, I say I read in The Times and Telegraph, but I don't have subscriptions to them, so I can't. But uh, it's not that I have a left-wing bias. I just... I have a free newspaper bias. Uh, but anyway, um, it gave me the impression that uh, the majority of people with eating disorders were massively against calories on menus. But this 2013 study said that 92% of people were actually in favour of the calories. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it was a good thing. Um, as the 2017 study indicated, uh, people with eating disorders may use the calorie information in a negative way. Yet, you know, craving that information um, to inform their choices uh, so that might not be a good thing um, but yeah I, I think that study uh, admittedly it was from you know nine years ago but it uh, just massively changed my perception on the whole thing it's that uh, uh, there's a possibility that we're listening to the uh, vocal minority when it comes to um, articles in the Guardian or BBC and also um, there is certainly a cognitive bias that um, a large proportion of people in the fitness industry are um, are against the idea of calorie counting on menus, which uh, you know perfectly understandable. I've got uh, well, you'll find out my opinion at the end. But um, they tend to also the people who say that tend to also mostly be women, mostly have. Um, anecdotal experiences of eating disorders because 75% of people with eating disorders are female um, and they tend to be the people who have been inter interviewed by the BBC and The Guardian. I've not heard a single male point of view in this. Um, so yeah, if you remember that 25% of people with eating disorders are male um, and you know they're not getting represented at all. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, that was the second study. Um, I'd say on balance, it is fair to say that those with eating disorders have a very good point about the dangers of calories on menus. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we should scrap the idea. Uh, as harsh as it sounds, it should be pointed out that there are a significant number of people with eating disorders who would benefit from calories on menus. Um, and 92% of people with eating disorders want want menus. So. Um, I can imagine a lot of people instantly dismissing that study, uh, but the study itself doesn't 
do well enough to ask people why that was. Um, but there, there are a lot, you've got to understand that there are a lot of people with eating disorders that don't fit into the narrative of um, anorexia and bulimia. Um, and there are a lot of eating disorders where the lack of information is what causes the stress. Um, so like people with orthorexia, they would be stressed by not knowing how many calories are in their food or um, they, they would, you know, be, they would avoid restaurants because they can't, you know, um, uh, log their macros in MyFitnessPal. Now, there is an argument that uh, we shouldn't be encouraging this, um, you know, uh, but then I think that's a poor argument because you're simultaneously asking for the removal of calories to cater to people with certain um, eating disorders, but then not doing it for others. Um, you're either catering to people's eating disorders and that's okay, or it's not. You can't have it both ways. Or you can accept that there are shades of grey and that different people have a different opinion. But what you can't do is just say that, you know, we can't do this full stop because it'll affect person A and fuck person B because they don't fit my story. Uh, but I, uh, in my experience, a lot of men with eating disorders, they crave the knowledge and without the knowledge they don't go to restaurants so um this will help them to go into restaurants and yeah i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but it's a thing and it should definitely be mentioned um so yeah it's a, it's a common theme of how uh calories on menus is going to affect people who are recovering from eating disorders um and that this could be a big step step backwards for them which it certainly could um but the 2017 study, the first study I mentioned, actually had quite a good suggestion, in my opinion, for this. Uh, is instead of banning the calories from menus, it should instead be incorporated into the treatment. So um, people with an, uh, anorexia or bulimia, when they recovered, one of the steps is to go to a restaurant, and that's part of their recovery. So if people are going to have calories on restaurants, then that needs to also be part of their recovery, if that makes sense. Um, you know, they need to incorporate that into the coaching that they get, one, to get into the restaurant, and then two, to deal with the thing. Um, I'm going to give a personal example of um, how this works in practice for someone who doesn't have an eating disorder. Um, so my wife has Asperger's. Um, so when we first started going out, uh, she found it very difficult eating in crowded restaurants. Uh Partly because she was surrounded by people, um, so, but also it was the noise, the hustle and bustle. Um, it wasn't to do with the food itself, it was just she couldn't concentrate, so she was highly stressed. And I don't know if you've ever tried to eat when you're stressed, it's a horrible feeling. Um, we cannot make changes to restaurants to deal with that because um, it would be impractical. Um, so we had to adjust. Um, what we did instead was we started eating at irregular times. So we'd go for dinner at... 5.30 or 6 rather than 7 um, we'd find restaurants that had that were really large and then go to them when they're quiet so that the chances of somebody sitting close to you um, were lowered um, and this worked really well and then over time um, uh, my wife suggested to being able to eat in restaurants even if they are quite busy I remember we went to um, Germany where they have a culture of everyone sharing tables and we go, go to this place and we're sitting next to these two um, Germans and sharing a table with them which when I first met my wife um, 
she could never have done that. She would have just found it too distracting, especially speaking in different languages. And, although, I mean, they were German, so they spoke perfect English. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, but because we'd sort of worked our way up to it, she was able to deal with it. Now, I'm not saying that this would work with somebody with anorexia or bulimia. I have no idea. Um, but my point is that we had to adjust to the world because the world isn't going to adjust to you. Um, uh, and that's I'm not saying that's the right the right thing. I'm just saying that's that's life. Um, but yeah, so uh, why is the government introducing the calories to menus in the first place? Uh, quite simply, we are in a health crisis right now and changes need to be made fast. Uh, I mean, people rightly talk about climate change as the next upcoming crisis. But uh, when it comes to obesity, that crisis hit about 20 years ago and we still haven't properly responded. Uh, in the UK, almost 28% of the population is obese. Uh, I mean, that's 16.8 million people. Um, that's why I said uh, to remember the, the figures I was saying for anorexia and bulimia. Uh, between them, they're less than a million people. Um, and that that's not to denigrate them. It's just to say it is less than 1 million people and then you've got 16.8 million people who are obese. Um, there were 9,000 amputations in the UK in 2019 due to type 2 diabetes. Uh, it's a rate of 176 per week. In 2021, it was estimated that 31,000 people die each year from diseases that are caused by obesity. Uh, the official estimate for people who died of anorexia in 2019 is 36 people uh, so it's less than 0.1% of the deaths of um, people who died from obesity related causes uh, though I will say uh, that many experts put the number of people who died from anorexia to be closer to 1860 and that the the, the fact that these numbers are nowhere near is quite worrying uh, but yes it's just to give it some perspective. Uh, my point is not that we should forget about people with eating disorders. Uh, 1,860 people dying from anorexia is a horrific number. Even 36 is 36 people too many. Uh, but obesity is a larger crisis that is causing thousands and thousands of deaths each year. And it is not getting, the situation is not getting better, it is getting much worse. Uh, with eating disorders, um, the arguments that it is also getting worse it's a bit also kind of correlated with uh, people being more accepting about it and people being more uh, prepared to talk about it as our um, as society shifts. We're still very slow behind it, but my point is um, that obesity crisis is spiralling out of control in a way that eating disorders are not. Um, so the real question is, can calories on menus help people to eat fewer calories and give them a greater knowledge about the food they eat. In other words, can adding calories on menu actually make any difference or is it completely pointless? Um, firstly, I'll give you my anecdotal opinion. Um, I found that when I do pay attention to the calories on menus, it can inform my choices. Uh, but I would also say that it's quite easy to forget to check. Uh, when I first saw them on a menu, I, I certainly did notice it and I was absolutely shocked by the amount of calories on some of the food or my common food choices you know when when I was about to order you know um, uh, 
uh, what was it? It was uh, like a lasagna or something, which I don't know why, but I always assumed was healthy uh, and saw that it was over a thousand calories. And that uh, there was a burger I could have ordered that was 900 calories. That was a shock. And, you know, I, mean, I didn't order either because that's way too many calories for a meal. You know, a good meal is around 800 calories to a thousand calories. Um, but, uh, yeah, so as, as I said, that's purely anecdotal, but... Um, it certainly did inform my choices, uh, but over time I forgot to check. It's quite easy to uh, forget they're there, you know. Um, in the same way that I guess if you're very rich and you go into a Weatherspoons, you probably don't look at the price when you're choosing your food in the same way you would if you're a broke student. Um, but uh, 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 yeah, also um, for me personally, um, if I want a steak when I walk into a restaurant, I'm probably going to order a steak no matter what the calories are. So um, for me personally, it can work and it certainly can educate, but I'm sure in the long term, I would probably get used to ignoring it. Um, I've read a lot of newspaper articles that claim it won't work, a lot of opinion pieces anyway. Um, and there's certainly been some studies that may have found that, but um, the majority of studies... Um, have found that it does actually make a difference. Uh, the most interesting one I found was a 2012 study, uh, which split participants into four groups. Um, and these were people with eating disorders. And again, bear in mind that it was hypothetical ordering in a restaurant. But the four groups were, there was one who had a menu with no calorie labeling, one that had a menu which had calories written on it. The third group had calories labeled and ranked from low to high. So the lowest calories at the top and then the highest calories at the bottom. And then the final group had the calories labelled and ranked from low to high, similar as group three. Uh, but they also had the high calorie foods uh, underlined in red and the low calorie foods underlined in green. So interestingly for the study, um, there was no difference in food choices for people for the no calories on menus group and the calories group. And I think this is the uh, part of the study that a lot of newspapers have uh, pointed to, saying, see, there's no difference. But um, there was a difference between the calories when they were ranked from low to high and the calories when they were ranked from low to high with the red lines and the green circles compared to no calories. So it did make a difference. Um, and I think that actually is the most important part of it. Um, it um, it's not enough to just have the calories on there. The food needs to be organised from low to high and then have annotations on it. That's what makes the difference, and it can make a difference. Um, so, yeah, um, at the beginning I said there were my three questions, um, so I'll answer them now. Does calorie labelling work? Yes but only when it's done correctly. Um, just adding the calories, which is what has been done, um, doesn't seem to work according to the studies. Um, so can cal calorie count, can calorie labeling affect eating disorders? Yes, it can affect anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder in a negative way. It may also affect um, orthorexia, uh, I can't make the decision as to whether that's a positive or a negative thing, but um, it certainly seems to appeal to some people with that eating disorder, meaning that they'd feel more comfortable going to a restaurant because they'd have the information. Um, 
and then should calorie labeling be offered in restaurants so on balance I would say yes uh, but perhaps not in its current state uh, I also believe that non-calorie menus should be legally available and that eating disorder coaching should be updated to navigate these tricky waters for people with eating disorders. Um, it is also important to note that this is just one change um, amongst a raft of changes that the government will be bringing in to combat obesity. So it'd be interesting to, I mean, I'm sure I could have researched it, but I don't know them, but it'd be interesting to find out what the other um, fa uh, changes the government's going to be bringing in. Um, I'm a little sceptical that this will work on its own, but I think as part of better education for the nation, uh, it could be quite useful. Um, there, there it's, I think it's a sort of trying to crack a walnut with a sledgehammer approach in that I think it will work, but it could be very tricky for some people, but that the overall good um, outweighs the downsides just about. But I think that uh, providing uh, menus without calories is as a legal requirement is crucial okay so that's all i've got to talk about that um see you in a year <laughs> kidding hopefully less than that bye